today on Ag News Daily. Get my peers that are multi-generations that have been on their same families, you know, operation for years and years and years, or generations, uh, and, and I listen to the pride and heritage that they have. Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen. It is our last podcast here for the week, but not our last one we're ever doing. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, happy Friday. Happy Friday indeed, Delaney Howell. I tell you what, you are not at the Iowa State Fair. How are you feeling about that? I'm feeling good. It's been a long week, I got to tell you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fair week is is always a fun week, but it is a week where you tend to overconsume and Mm -hmm. definitely wear out a good pair of shoes. Yes. But we have a very, very great discussion for our interview today, don't we? We do. We are chatting with Jay Hill, who is a farmer actually in two states, Texas and New Mexico. Both he farms some specialty crops, but he has been working tirelessly with the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance to work on a new project. It's, it's really interesting. I shared a video on my Twitter account. I encourage you all to check that out at Delaney Howell 07. It really sets the, the pretense, I think, for this interview we've got going on with Jay. Yeah. Definitely worth uh, worth a uh, a look. I guess is where my worth head is at. Worth a watch. Uh, yes. Yeah, with a watch. It's, hey, thanks, Delaney. Boy, it's a good thing I'm not media <laughs> or anything where I need to use my words. Yeah, good Jeez. call. Mm-hmm. Um, no, great stories all the way around, and fantastic production value. Just yes. really good stuff. Yes, really, really touching to me. So let's jump right into some news here. I love talking about fun or funky news on Friday. It's not really super funky, but I'm actually really glad because Red Lobster's happens to be one of my favorite restaurants. I don't care if people don't like seafood, you can poo-poo on it because it's a chain restaurant, but I love Red Lobster. And their CEO just came out and made a public statement recently saying that they will absolutely not be looking in or be adding plant-based foods to their menu. He said, we've definitely looked into plant-based seafood. It was terrible. And he said they will not be introducing it and expressed his disdain for the taste of plant-based seafoods and said, no way in heck that they're adding that anytime soon. Wait, wait, wait. Delaney, how? Yes. Is no way in heck an actual quote from the CEO? No, that was a Delaney paraphrase. I was going to say, I love this dude. (laughs) No, that was a Delaney paraphrase. Okay, all right, gotcha. He said it was terrible, though. That is a direct quote from him. Wow. Yeah. Wow, well, you know, tough tough break for uh, plant-based seafood providers, I suppose, but a win for fishermen and lobstermen and oystermen and women across the country. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, we talk a lot about tariffs on this program. We talk a lot about tariffs in agriculture as they relate to the U.S. We've got news from Australia. Um, actually, it's news from China about Australia. China is going to be putting higher tariffs on Australian beef going forward. Um, basically, China and Australia signed a free trade agreement back in 2015 And that allowed for a 6% tariff of Australian beef up to a quota. And China's Customs announced earlier today that the eight categories of Australian beef have reached their quota amount. 
And so now they are going to resume their regular tariff rates, which are between 10 and 12 and a half percent, um, still lower than what a lot of other countries pay, still lower than what the tariffs are on U.S. beef into China, for example, but uh, definitely raises the price of beef in China, which should help make U.S. beef um, a little bit more competitive versus our Australian competitors as we uh, you know, continue this, this trade war battle with China. Absolutely. And, and since you are talking about Chinese protein consumption, we know African swine fever is starting to shift those tastes and preferences for the Chinese consumer. USDA put out a study or an, an expectation, a forecast, if you will, that their chicken production is now expected to increase by 14% or about 16 million metric tons in 2020. And will further see that shift in taste and preferences away from pork as African swine fever continues to run rampant over there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that makes sense. And that's good news, I think, in the long run for U.S. or in, and Brazilian soybean producers. Mm -hmm. If they ramp up poultry production, that's going to find a continued home for soybean meal. Right. It'll still, yeah still be using soybean meal. I don't think chickens will eat as much soybean meal as pork. However, the turnaround time for a chicken or a turkey or whatever to market production, I think would be a lot quicker. So I'd be interested to see, you know, will poultry production increase or remain the same, the amount of soy-based feed that they need. Right. I've got to imagine. And listeners, I know we've got uh, we've got poultry producers that listen into us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you because poultry is one of those industries we don't talk a lot about mm -hmm. on this podcast. And I, frankly, that's because I, I don't know very much right. about it. I know, Delaney, you're kind of in the same boat. I am. I like to eat poultry, but um, 100 percent. The only that's... good chicken is a fried chicken. <laughs> I like to eat eggs. Um, but uh, yeah, that's about the extent of my knowledge, other than like the free range chickens that we have like at my parents' farm that just, you know, run wherever and lay eggs sometimes sporadically, but. Right, right. And that, that's not really a production model no. that uh, most folks ought to aspire to, probably. <laughs> no, it's probably but They're not. more friends than, uh, <laughs> than production yeah. livestock animals. Yeah, for sure. But I would imagine, my guess is that, A, you could ramp up that industry a lot faster than you could the pork industry, and B, you're going to ramp it up on a greater scale, I would think. You can fit so many more birds in a barn than you can pigs, so perhaps they could grow it fast mm -hmm. enough to, yeah, I bet it would sure. be hard to completely offset. Yeah, I would think so, but okay. I, I don't know. Well, speaking of offsetting, we've talked a lot on this podcast. We've talked a lot in agriculture about how the corn lobby would love to see the EPA stop offsetting biofuels demand by granting small refinery waivers. And we talked earlier in this week about last Friday's announcement from um, uh, Commissioner Wheeler at the EPA about how they had granted 31 biofuels waivers to different refineries, all of them citing uh, cost as being the main factor they should be allowed to not blend or purchase um, RINs, renewable uh, identification numbers credits, um, in basically, and the government saying, yeah, that's fine. You don't have to blend the biofuels. Reuters is announcing today that that decision was triggered specifically by a phone call from President Trump. Uh, President Trump, who has tweeted all week about the farmers, him being the farmer's best friend, uh, reportedly called 
uh, Andrew Wheeler, the head of the EPA, last Friday and said he was sick of this issue being on his desk and he wanted it over with. Specifically, um, a source, unnamed source in the White House said, quote, the president has heard from all sides and in the end he has had enough of it. He called Wheeler and gave him the green light to go ahead and issue these refinery waivers. Um, that is, I, I think, surprising to a lot of us since the Trump administration had been one of the ones that had been really kind of holding this issue up and has, was trying to kind of counterbalance the, the demands of ethanol producers with the demands of the oil refineries. And basically, we know his decision now. Uh, we know that he mm -hmm. came out and said, go ahead and do it, uh, Commissioner Wheeler. So I feel like kind of Wheeler's off the hook on this deal. This decision has fallen squarely on the president. Yes, I would say that you are right. Although it is an unnamed source, so, you know, you've got to take a little bit of that with a grain of salt, I think. Right, right. And uh, the, the White House officially did decline to comment on this story. As I figured they probably would. Yep, yep. They said go ahead and refer back to their August 9th uh, press release when they talked about the criteria for receiving these waivers. Okay. Well, I'm going to take it back to China for just a second here. I, I think it's something that, you know, it's not super newsy maybe for the U.S., but I think it's something that will impact our grain production long term as we continue to look at this trade war situation with China and what's going on in South America with our competitors down there in Brazil and Argentina, Chinese state-owned construction giant CCCC is preparing to bid a big dredging project down in Argentina's Parana River area, which is the country's main cargo superhighway that takes soy and corn from the Pampas Farm Belt to shipping lanes to send them all over the world, but most specifically China. So I don't know what the timeline is for that project. It doesn't say. I'm assuming it's probably a little while. But uh, that area carries about 80% of Argentine farm exports. And a big part of that is, of course, soy exports, which are also heading over to China that we now have to compete against once they get this project finished. It'll just make that infrastructure easier for Argentin Argentinians to get that product out. Now, do we know a timeline on a project of this scale? No, I said like, that. Like, were there any yeah. indications? No, mentioned that a little earlier. It says it's supposed to start the dredging concession set for renewal, renewal in April 2021. I don't know what that means, the dredging concession. I'm guessing that's the, the contract. I guess. So April 2021, I think, is when, when it it'll start. starts. Okay. So this is this is down-the-line stuff, but absolutely right. worth keeping an eye on because the quicker those beans can move out, the, uh, the well, I guess really the more reliable that South America can become as a supplier, the more competitive they become. Yeah, and this is interesting, too. It says each additional foot of depth that they add would increase efficiency by allowing ships to carry 1,800 tons to 2,500 tons of additional cargo. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's a pretty big increase. Absolutely. Hydrodynamic uh, science being discussed here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. What was that word? Hydro, hydrodynamics? Oh, I, could, I never heard of that word. 
I think that's the right word. Okay, I'll take your word. Principles of of water and buoyancy. Mm, Yeah, not not my strong suit. Yeah, well, mine either. Liberal arts majors all the way. (laughs) Um, I just have one other quick piece of news because we have talked quite a bit about the hours of service for uh, truck drivers on this podcast, specifically as it relates to livestock haulers. But there is another proposed reform coming to hours of service from the FMCS. Can you restart that? Federal reforms are being supported by. Just starting where the UFMCA or whatever you called it. I couldn't tell. Okay. Is it better? Is it better now? Yep. Okay. Um, A series of uh, a series of reforms published uh, published actually earlier today by the uh, the U.S. Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration or the FMCSA. And this series of reforms is being supported by the Ag Retailers Association. And I thought it was interesting. I know a lot of our members or a lot of our listeners rather carry their CDL. A lot of us haul grain for our operations or for our neighbors or lots of other things. And um, some of the reforms include a short haul exemption for CDL drivers, an expansion of that to 150 air miles, and the expansion of duty hours from 12 to 14 hours of duty, in addition to um, uh, requiring the minimum 30-minute break for each consecutive hours of driving and allowing drivers to use the on-duty, not driving status, rather than have to go off-duty during their breaks. Um, ARA, the Ag Retailers Association, figures that this is going to save the U.S. economy and consumers $274 million dollars um, per year, which is pretty impressive. Oh yeah, that's a quite a bit. It is uh, them some real dollars there, Delaney Howell. All right. Well, you know what else is some real dollars, Mike? Is the amount of prevent plant indemnities that have been paid out so far this year. We have seen well over a billion dollars in those payments, according to claims that have been filed with the Risk Management Agency. And they also, of course, replanted, or reported earlier this week that acres for prevent plant have reached 19.4 million acres, which is the most on record and nearly twice the amount that was reported in 2011 when claims totaled $2.2 billion. So I think it's safe to say we're going to surpass that $2.2 billion and then some for this year. Oh, absolutely. Record amounts means record dollars. Yes, it does. Well, while we're talking dollars and cents, Delaney, should we see what the dollars and cents in the commodity markets totaled up to for the week? Let's do it. All right, folks. And uh, we've got green on the screen in the grains, red on the screen as we take a look at the livestock markets. In grains, corn was up big today, finally finding a nice footing after this week's earlier downturn. September corn was up 10 and a quarter at 371 even. The December contract up nine and three quarters to close the day at 380 and three quarters. In soybeans, September was up nine and a quarter at 867 and a quarter. The November up nine cents, finishing the day at 879 and three quarters. Looking at Chicago wheat, a little bit of a day, but still an up day. September contract was up one and three quarters at 470 and three quarters, with the December up three cents, finishing at 477 and a half. Looking over at the world of livestock, as I mentioned, we've got a little bit of a downturn today. 
with the live cattle contract October dropping 47 and a half cents at $98.05, December down 75 cents finishing the day at 103.5250. Feeder cattle losses on the day, September contract down 92 and a half cents at 132.3750, the October down 90 cents dropping totally on the week to 132.85. Actually, uh Yes, down on the week, finished at uh, 132.85. And in hogs, we've got limit down movement again this today in hogs with the October contract down $3 at $62. December settling off the limit, but only slightly, down $2.97.5, finishing the day at 60.77.50. And of course, we cannot forget about our friends in the dairy industry. Mixed trade in class three milk with the October. The August uh, down a penny at 17.63, and the September up a dime, finishing the day at 17.87. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our discussion with Farmer Jay Hill down in the American Southwest. Well, I am so excited for today's interview here on this Friday afternoon, chatting with Jay Hill, who is a farmer in Dell City, Texas. Jay, first of all, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for allowing me to uh, to be with you today. Jay, before we talk a little bit about your involvement with the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, I want to ask about your operation. Tell me about your farm, and it looks like you have actually two different farms in Texas and also New Mexico. Tell me about that operation. Yeah, so we are a, a mostly a multifaceted, multi-state farm. We uh, I started farming when I was 16 with 10 acres uh, with my father, uh, and just kind of this passion for agriculture. You know, I think it started as a passion for equipment, but it just kind of morphed itself into a passion for all things agriculture. Uh, at, at the age of 16, my father helped me kind of get started on my own journey. And uh, took that ten acres, and since then we've we've grown into the farm that we are today. Two states, four counties, 120 full-time employees. Um, we're, we're we're a very large, diverse farm. Anything from cotton and alfalfa to wine grapes and onions and cabbage and lettuce and pecans and cows and kids. Wow, Jay, that is a fascinating operation, and it's very different from most of the producers we talk to on Ag News Daily, which tend to be, you know, your large-scale commodity crop growers. So tell us, just personally, I'm interested to know, where did you get the expertise to grow the variety of crops that you do grow? Uh, I, I, I would say 110% it's with the people that I've been uh, blessed to work with. Um, our employees are absolutely amazing people, and they all have a very strong suit in, you know, either mechanics or horticulture or agronomy or whatever it could be. And so I've just really relied on on an unbelievable employee base um, and have gone out and really pursued finding people that have a passion for different things. Uh, and then I use that passion to allow our farm to continue to grow. And so it's a very um, – it's a very – Collaborate, uh, collaborative effort as a group whenever we're deciding on a new crop to grow. Uh, this is my second year in cotton, which is, you know, the, the largest commodity crop that I grow. And it's, I am, I am taking a lesson <laughs> in commodity crops. So, <laughs> wow. So, I mean, you, you are upbeat. You're an upbeat guy. I think I've followed you on Snapchat and some social media for a while. You post a lot of like fun and interesting things, but farming has not always been an easy journey for you. 
And this video that the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance put out that's called 30 Harvests, I just watched it this morning, and honestly, it nearly brought me to tears. It's about your journey in making the decision to stay farming, continue farming. Jay, walk me through that video. Was that realistic for, was it a recreation of of how you felt in the past about maybe deciding to leave farming? Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I talked to so many of my peers that are multi-generation that have been on their same families, you know, operation for years and years and years or generations. Uh, and, and I listened to the pride and heritage that they have. Um, being what I call a generation and a half farmer, it's been really interesting for me to try to put things together to understand, hey, this is how we're building a base of business. Uh, and then 2011 comes along and I almost had to let all of everything that I worked for go. Uh, and then again, you know, 2019 has been one of those years that, that we really, this film says that I second guess, um, you know, or at least once a year about being in that, but I think in agriculture that, that really um, thinks about where we're headed in the future, thinks about hanging up their, their boots from time to time, you know, maybe weekly. And, uh, and so this film just kind of took, the struggle that I have in my head and put it on paper. And then from paper, it went to film and the U S farmers and ranchers just, they knocked it out of the park. They got a really great film crew out of the Netherlands. Um, and it, it tells my story to the team. So, so Jay, 2019, as you mentioned, is a tough year for a lot of growers across the country. Kind of help us understand a little bit when you're to that place, when you're at that, decision point to hang up your boots, as you said, what was it that brought you back to the farm? What made you decide to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to dig deep and we're going to power through. The biggest thing I think is living comfortably in your own skin. And, and that has been very hard um, for me to figure out who I am as a person. And I think, you know, and everybody talks about, Oh, I'm on my quest to find out who I am as a person. And I remember being younger, just thinking, Oh my gosh, what, what a crock that this sounds ridiculous. Uh, but it's very true in the fact that I, I had to figure out um, what direction I wanted to go as a person, um, as a father, as a husband, um, as a business owner, employer. And once I figured out that I, I, I was comfortable living in my own skin, I, the purchases that I make, the uh, decisions that I make or we make, I'm comfortable with. And I don't have to rely on what my neighbor thinks or what somebody else's perception is. Um is a big thing. And once I figured that out and I started to find out that, Hey, I'm comfortable in and of myself. And if my crop doesn't look as good as my neighbors or my tractor's not as clean, um, I'm doing, I'm doing what makes me work. I'm doing what makes me tick. And that self-help of understanding who I am to this day pulls me out of funks and just saying, Jay, you're not, you're not like this guy or you're not like that guy or you're not, you know, in social media world and Instagram is kind of, I got off of Snapchat just because I couldn't keep up with it. But, but Instagram, I, I follow so many unbelievable producers and you see all of these beautiful pictures of crops and barnyards and equipment and everything. And I'm thinking, man, if I could just do it that way. Uh, and that's when I struggle. If I sit back and I look at what we have and what we do and I say, man, this is, this is, this is how we roll. And we live, live by that example. Uh, my bad days aren't so bad. I think that that is so humanizing to hear because, I mean, I think when you log on to social media, it's created this persona that people only post their best foot forward. They post, you know, the stuff that looks really good and, and makes their lives look perfect. I think it's really refreshing to hear you say all of that, Jay, that that's 
that's also affected you in the way that you farm and, and do all of that stuff. Yeah, I'm driving past a field right now that's full of weeds, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, Jay, what are you doing? And it's, it's, it's me. It's, you know, unfortunately, this is how this crop right here looks, and um, there's the only person that can change that is me or the good Lord. And I mm-hmm. think it's important that in agriculture we stop trying to keep up with a Jones. Yeah, absolutely. Because not only do we have to keep up with the Jones, but now we're trying to also combat or, or – chat, whatever you want to call it, the mainstream folks, the consumers that don't understand that tied agriculture. Jay, tell us a little bit about this 30 Harvests project. Obviously, it captured your story really well, but what's the goal of this project that the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance is putting together? So my journey with the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers is a long one. I was a face farming and ranching for them couple years ago and I spent two terms two years traveling around the country talking to people about what agriculture means to me and I've got it's easy for me to talk about agriculture because it's something that I live and breathe and and, and do every day I know there's a lot of great farm groups out there that are supporting uh, farmers and ranchers but at the same time uh, until your boots on the ground every day it kind of changes your voice um Aaron Fitzgerald has has taken um over she's a new ceo of, of u.s farmers and ranchers and she's brought a different approach u.s farmers and ranchers has done a really good job i believe since the beginning um, of just really trying to bridge a lot of those gaps between the consumer and, and the farmer um, they took it a step further this year and uh, from my understanding they interviewed 10 different operations uh just kind of got their stories and how they started and where they're at and then they selected me and then megan uh, she's the gal that's in the TV doing talking about you know sequestering carbon in the soil. Uh, they they selected us and just kind of merged us together into this film. And it's you know I I've seen it on social media. It's been up for 20, 26 hours or whatever it is now. And, uh, sorry, I'm a little one's with me. And uh, and so we've got we've got a really good core in agriculture that's saying hey let's share this let's share this. But the hope and dream is that we break out of that agriculture bubble that that your, your, you know, Manhattan uh, high-rise apartment owner looks at this and says, oh my gosh, I never thought about it from a farmer's perspective before. And that's where my heart lies, is just finding the people that aren't connected to agriculture day in and day out and hoping that, that they grab this and say, man, we, we need to do more to support uh, our farmers, not just in the U.S., but in the, you know, globally. Well, Jay, you touched on something there that definitely has the attention of people outside of agriculture, and that is climate change and carbon sequestration. I know you've done a lot of work on that end of things. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've done on your operation and what you're looking forward to in the future? Well, you know, we see we see a movement in, in, in people wanting to, especially as we're coming back into an election year, we're seeing a you know, political climate is basing itself off of our actual climate. Um, and you're, you're seeing senators and representatives that are out there openly saying, hey, climate change is real. Um, and the first time I said climate change is real, a lot of my peers turned around and looked at me like, oh, my gosh, Jay's drank the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> he's, he's fallen off the deep end. Uh, but in all reality, my opinion of climate change is it is, it is a – I don't believe in Al Gore's climate change, but I do believe that our climate is shifting and the fact that, that our, our footprint um, – is being felt more than it ever has before. The fact that agriculture has the ability to take carbon out of the fossil fuel sector and recycle that into making better soil that, that provides us with better better crops is absolutely amazing. 
And, and my hope and dream is that as I continue on the research as the U.S. Department of Directors and, and other groups are doing this, um, that we are, we are some, someday at a point where we start to reap a financial reward from not only uh, sequestering carbon, but saving the planet. You know, and, and, and I, I'm a firm believer that, that if God wants to, to find the hands again, we could do it. But at the same time, I, I believe it's, it's our duty to try to take care of what we have in front of us. And if we do that um, and pay attention to what we have, then, then we should be able to be rewarded financially for it. And agriculture, I mean, especially 2019, we all know we could use it. Absolutely. And, and preserving the land, since we know they're not, they're not making any more of that for the next generation of, of agriculturalists. Jay, what advice do you have to maybe some of our growers that are listening and think, yeah, you know, I, I've heard a lot about this carbon stuff. I don't know how to do it on my operation. How do you recommend taking that first step to figuring out how to make your operation you know, more carbon or environmentally friendly and, and not to sound, you know, like, again, like you're drinking the Kool-Aid, but, you know, just in that mindset that you want to preserve your farm and, and the ground. The biggest thing that I can say to people is it's time to put down the boxing gloves in agriculture. We divide ourselves. We, we are the world's worst at dividing ourselves in agriculture. Um, if you're a large farmer like myself, oftentimes my peers tend to draw a target in on the small you know, operators, or if you're a GMO conventional operator, you tend to draw across there to the organic side. Instead of fighting amongst ourselves and being envious of what one person has or another person has, if we actually just took the time to start to support each other in agriculture, even if there's a post or something that comes up that we don't like, just a little bit of encouragement makes somebody think about something outside of the box that could be the next big thing that totally changes uh, the world of agriculture. Uh, the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers, they, they have, you can go to their website, usfarmersandranchers.org, and, and there's all kinds of, of things from climate to uh, GMOs versus organic, all kinds of stuff there. So there's a great toolbox that can be had, as well as get on social media and just start uplifting people in agriculture. If they're doing a good job, even if it's not, even if it's organic and you're a conventional producer, let's start, let's start singing some praises instead of uh, pulling the, the crosshair on everybody. Absolutely. Work together instead of against each other. Jay, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can find that video that I mentioned earlier on in the episode. Yeah, so you can go to 30 Harvests on YouTube. Um, you're welcome to follow along, too. You can go to Instagram, look up HillJ45, H-I-L-L-J-A-Y-4-5, or uh, U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, uh, and there's links there that, that will take you um, – to the video on YouTube. Well, Jay Hill, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Fascinating project, fantastic video, an incredible story of a farm operator, like you say, getting comfortable in his own skin and finding success. So thanks for being a beacon of hope for the rest of us. Hey, thank you guys so much for allowing me to tell my story. Well, huge thanks to Jay Hill for taking the time to talk to us. It's always great to get different perspectives. And I think especially when we're facing troubling times in agriculture, to know that other folks have been there first, Delaney. Absolutely. And, and really, I, I strongly urge you guys to check out that video. I'm not just saying it. I mean, it is a little emotional. I maybe almost cried while I was watching it. But I just think it highlights how so many farmers feel. And as, as Jay mentioned there, you know, it humanizes us in agriculture that, you know, even though we're posting stuff on social media, that's maybe not always the most realistic about how we're feeling 
about our farming operation. Absolutely. Take everything on social media with a grain of salt, that's for sure. Unless, yes. of course, you're following Ag News Daily on social media. You can take <laughs> everything we say at face value because we're pretty honest. Absolutely, Mike. Absolutely. You can find us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can connect with us at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily to listen to any of our past episodes. Mike, with that, shall we let the people go? Let's let them go out for their weekend, Delaney. 